0: Greetings to all my tech heads out there in the KevTechify nation, and if you're new here, welcome. In this episode, we're going to look at scalable networks. We'll be discussing design for scalability, plan for redundancy, reduce failure domain size, increase bandwidth, expand the access layer, and tune routing protocols. This episode is part of my series on enterprise networking security and automation for the CCNA. I'm Kevin here at KevTechify. Let's get this adventure started. Scalability is a term here we can use for networks that can grow without losing availability or reliability. You can make your network better. You can make your network adapt to newer technologies without losing availability. You don't have to have downtime. Your workers aren't working. They're not making your company money. And you can have reliability, meaning that even though you made a change, it's still going to be up and we can build in redundancy with that reliability. Part of your job as the network administrator, network designer, is to develop some strategies here to enable this network to be available and to be scalable and to do it effectively and easily. Now, to do this, what you need to do is look at redundancy, multiple links, scalable routing protocols, And finally, especially in today's world, look at having wireless connectivity. Redundancy can prevent a disruption of services, minimizing the possibility of a single point of failure. Now to do that, what we have to do a lot of times is look at installing duplicate equipment. Here you can see in our diagram, we have our wiring closet with a switch, a backbone with a couple more switches. Installing that duplicate equipment here. So in the wiring closet, we went from just one switch, now we're up to two switches. On your backbone, from two switches to four switches, having that redundant equipment in there. So if one of these fail, the the others will take over. The other key part about this is having redundant paths. Not only do you put it in there so that you have one path and two paths, but we also have these redundant paths where the first switch can will connect into two switches. That second switch you just connected in, they will connect into two. So even if one of these paths goes down, we can still get all of our data through there. All of our workers can do the work they need. All of your customers can order all the all of whatever they need, then spend money with you so you can make more money. The other thing you need to do is provide failover services for critical devices. And that's what these redundant links are. And a lot of times they come with protocols that make them redundant, where if the main one fails, the second one will take over. So you need to make sure you look at those failover services. These redundant paths. Couple things to pay attention to when you set them up. Yes, you're gonna have redundant paths, but in an ethernet network, it may cause loops. They may be able to loop around. So switch five can go to switch two, which can go to switch seven, which can go to switch six, which can go back to switch five. And then we can start that whole loop over again. So we could cause loops having these redundant pass. So you need to plan for that. And the best way to take care of these lap or sorry, these loops at layer two is with spanning tree protocol. You you have to have it. It's required when you start looking at layer two redundancy. A well-designed network controls traffic, and it limits the size of failure domains. Now, what do we mean by that? It's the area of the network that is impacted when a network experiences problems. So when you design your network, if you have a failure in one area, it shouldn't take out your entire network. Hopefully you have redundancy where you can fail over to your redundant solution. Or if there's a complete failure, at least the majority of your network won't go down. Only that, only a small area will go down. In a hierarchical design model, failure failure domains here are terminated at the distribution layer. Right here is our distribution layer this is where failure domains are terminated at the distribution layer how you configure these distribution multi-layer layer 3 switches will allow you to limit the failures on your network and the rest of our network every router functions as a gateway for a limited amount, number of access devices you can see here that these layer three switches here, the ones that are running router, they only connect to a couple access layer switches, and that creates a small failure dis- failure domain. If this distribution switch went one went down, looking at our design here, we see that we have redundancy built in, and so instead of this layer one act, or sorry access layer switch connecting into the D1, the redundant link takes it over to D2. So here we have a, not even an existent failure domain. If over here distribution three switch went down, switch five would go to D4 switch six is unaffected, but you would lose access to switch four at the access layer. So this switch right here would lose access but that is as far as your failures would go. So you have a small failure domain there. Yes, people connected into Switch 4 would be upset, but at least the rest of your company, the rest of your organization, the rest of the people making money for your company would still be able to work. Routers or these multi-layer switches are typically deployed in, in pairs. You can see here in our diagram at the distribution layer, we have D1 and D2 in a pair. We have D3 and D4 in a pair. Now, what these are referred to, and sometimes they're referred to as a building, sometimes they're re- referred to as departmental, but you're gonna hear a lot of people call these switch blocks. Switch blocks. Each switch block it acts independently than the other one. So the, The switch block over here on the left is going to act independently than the switch block on the right. A failure of a single device does not cause the network to go down either. What we see here is in these switch blocks, you have to have multiple distribution devices. And if one of these goes down, your devices will still go up. And of course, if one of these goes down, you should have some sort of monitoring setup. You should have some sort of notification up that all sorts of bells and whistles and lights start to go off that you lost a distribution switch. Yes, everything is fine. You're giving the illusion to your end users. Everything is fine, but you need to jump into action, get that distribution switch back up and going so you have your redundancy. Because if D1 goes down, you now have a central point of failure and you want to make sure that you want to restore D1 as soon as possible so that you don't have that central point of failure anymore. I hope you're liking this episode on scalable networks. If you have the time, please leave a comment and let me know what you think about scalable networks. You can also visit my website at kevtechify.com for all of my details and how to get these episodes in video and podcast form. One of the things networks always need is more bandwidth. They need to get their data across there. Applications come out every day and they send out more amounts of information across the network, you need to get it across there. If a lot of applications are sending more and more data across there, you just need to push that as fast as possible. One of the things we can do as network administrators between our switches is set up something, is, is do something that's called link aggregation. Aggregation. In the Cisco world, this is known as ether channel, creating an ether channel. And what this does is allow you, the administrator, to increase the amount of bandwidth between devices by creating one logical link. And that's the key here, is a logical link. We have our switch. We have our access one switch down here. We have D1 over here, a distribution switch. We have D2 over here. These are all gig connections. So this is a gig connection, this is gig, this is gig, this is gig. Getting the amount of data across this one connection is one gig. But if that's always saturated and it's always full and and your queues are full and it's just getting overload that connection, what we can do is take a second gig gig link And in the software, we can create a logical link. Instead of these physical links, we can create one logical link. Both of these end switches, so access one, distribution one, they would see this as one logical connection in the software. The advantage of that is this one logical connection now has the bandwidth of both of these added together. This would be a two gig connection. You can send twice as much data through there. Ether channel combines existing switch ports into one logical port. And how we do that is we use a port channel interface. And these are port channels that we create here. And so this is referred to as a port channel. Most configurations are done on that port channel instead of each individual port. And this ensures that the configuration is consistent across all of these links. Ether channel, these port channels, we can also load balance between these links. We can load balance between them. Here in this example, we're doing two physical ports together into one port channel. You can go up to four physical links. You can do up to four physical links. If you have gig switches, you could have this port channel be up to four gigs and that would be a four gig connection. Downside is you have to use four physical ports for that. But now that one connection can handle four gigs of data going across it. An increasingly popular option to extend your access layer connectivity is through the use of wireless. Using these 802.1 standards to connect in the wire, devices through Wi-Fi onto your network. Wireless LANs provide increased flexibility. They reduce costs and the ability to grow and adapt to a changing network and business requirements. They provide flexibility. Somebody can go anywhere in the office and they can connect into your device on their mobile phone, on their laptop, on their tablet. It's reduced costs. With wireless being so prominent in today's network, manufacturers, if they manufacture them, the costs have come way down. And it's now a lot of times cheaper to install wireless than it is to install wired connections. Now the wired connection, yeah, a spool of wire may cost between 100 and $150. You may have to get the ends to do that. But the big cost in installing that wired network is not the materials. It is the manpower to actually run that wire from the wiring closet up the wall across two two hallways a room down the wall terminated at a panel the labor cost is the big thing when you include that a lot of times wireless is a lot cheaper now to communicate wirelessly end devices require a wireless NIC to connect to the wireless router or the wireless access point so your devices need to be set up for that Mobile devices typically already have Wi-Fi in there. If you have a traditional desktop PC, you can actually get wireless cards that fit in there. Now, Considerations when implementing your wireless network. One of the things here is the type of wireless devices that you're gonna connect in there. Is it just some mobile devices that are doing email, web browsing, or is it going to be doing some sort of heavy applications like off of a laptop? What's your wireless coverage requirements? How big do you need to go? How much area? Do you have to cover just the front office or do you need to cover the entire back machine shop? Do you need to extend it to other locations outside of your company? Or do we need to make sure it doesn't go outside of your company for security concerns? What types of interference do you have? Do you have brick walls? Do you have metal studded walls? Those will block wireless signals fairly well. And then of course we have our security concerns, making sure that your data is secure. Wireless signals, if anybody can hear your signal, they can see that data and you need to make sure your data is secure. OSPF is an advanced routing protocol. Open shortest path first is used in large networks. It's designed for large networks. OSPF is a link state routing protocol, and it uses areas to support hierarchical networks. OSP routers, they establish and maintain neighbor adjacencies with other OSP connected routers. These routers here, they're all communicating with each other. They're talking about the states of their links and that communication happens, and it it happens between all these devices on there. So they're always communicating with their neighbors. OSPF routers, they synchronize their link state databases. When a network change occurs, those link state updates, they're sent out, informing other OSPF routers of the change in establishing a newest page. If there's a change over here, the change is sent out to this device and it's sent out to that device. And then that device, and then this device gets it in and sends the change out here. And then pretty soon it gets propagated all the way across. But when you use areas, those changes only stay in this area. The changes don't go out that way. Now, why don't they go out that way? Well, does it matter to the devices over here in area 51 if, let's call this R1 here, had a change to one of its links? You get from area 51 routers all the way back to R1. We know that we have to go to R2 to R1 to even get into the area where that router belongs. So area 51 just knows it needs to send the data in this direction. It doesn't need to know that all these changes occurred over here. And that's why the link changes only represent logical areas that you as the administrator set up as areas in, OFPF, in OSPF. It was my pleasure to provide you with this wonderful episode on Scalable Networks. If you like the episode and you got value out of it, please click that like button, give a five-star rating, leave a comment. This all helps me bring you more great content. Please take a minute to subscribe to my channel. All of my socials and contact information are on my website, kevtechify.com. There you can find out how to get all these episodes in video and podcast form. In the upper right is my playlist for my series on enterprise networking security and automation for the CCNA. Thank you so much for watching this episode of my series on enterprise networking security and automation for the CCNA. Once again, I'm Kevin. This is Kev Techify. I'll see you next time for another great adventure.